The Comic Book Time Machine, episode 98, a comic book grab bag. Hello and welcome back to the Comic Book Time Machine. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here to have some fun with some comic books. And this one is taking me back in time uh, nostalgically. You know, I've done this before where I've gotten a comic book grab bag. I am so excited that so many places are doing the comic book grab bag again. Now, the ones that I was getting before were from Dollar General. And the place, uh, those ones, the stuff that came out of it, it just wasn't as exciting to me. And there was... I mean, it was clearly from a certain company and they had like advertisements for all of their different collectibles and stuff like that. But I've seen now some grab bags from Walmart and I've seen now some grab bags from Target. And the grab bag that I have today is from Target. Now, why is this so nostalgic for me? Why does this take me back in time? It takes me back in time to when I was a kid and I go to my grandparents' grocery store, a grocery store I've been to recently to see if they had any comics at all. And they don't. But when I was a kid, they did. And I would get them and they would have three comics in them usually. So you could see the comic on the front, the comic on the back, but you couldn't see the comic in the middle. And you would take the bag and you would try and pull it open a little bit so you could kind of see what is it? What else is in there that I'm going to get? And I got a comic book grab bag when I was a kid that had two Star Wars issues, one on one side, one on the other. And then there was a Star Trek issue in between. And I didn't care for Star Trek at all back then. Uh, another time I got one that was um, Whitman comics, which uh, they were, there was a Flash Gordon one and a Buck Rogers one. And also a Swiss family or a space family Robinson lost in space comic. And those became just, I, I, I knew Buck Rogers and I knew about Flash Gordon. I wasn't really familiar with him, but he was a, a character that was out there, you know, and I knew about him. But the Space Family Robinson one just captured my imagination. And those are the two grab bags that I remember the most from when I was a kid. But I know I got a couple more. So lately, like I said, I've seen them at Walmart. I've seen them at Dollar General. And I've seen them now at Target. And the one at Target is what I got today. And it says just on the top, I mean, it's it's so nostalgic to me. Uh, literally, it's just a, a plastic bag with a hole in the top that you for the peg that you set this on the peg. And then it just says across the top comics. And and then there's a little um, yellow circle that says four out of print originals. And then at the bottom, it says collectible comics. That's all it says. And they were six dollars there at at Target. And it comes with four comics. So that comes out to a dollar fifty each for each comic. Now the question is, are they going to be worth it or not? Well, here's the thing that's the probably the biggest difference between these and the ones at Dollar General is that these look like uh, published uh, big publisher comics. So I saw some there that were DC, and what I'm holding in my hands had uh, has a Marvel comic on the front, the Amazing Spider-Man from Marvel Now, all new Marvel Now issue number one a variant edition, uh, and we'll get into that in a second. 
about why we care about that. The other one is a Dark Horse Star Wars comic, X-Wing Rogue Squadron, The Rebel Opposition, it says, and it's issue two of four. I don't know the date on it, but um, it's got that kind of painted look to the cover that Dark Horse does and did, and that's why I I chose this one, because it has a Star Wars comic and then this variant all-new Marvel Now Amazing Spider-Man and I don't know anything about what the original cover looked like, but this one harkens back to that issue, that early, early Spider-Man issue. Maybe even It might even be issue one. I'll have to look that up, and I'll do that uh, in a little bit here, uh, but not on the air, uh, or not on the microphone anyway. You know what I mean. But it has Spider-Man kind of trapped inside this tube, and then there's all these people around the tube. And one guy has a jetpack, and he's wearing a T-shirt with a picture on it that I can't really see. Uh, the other guy, there's a guy in a hoodie. There's another guy who's wearing a T-shirt that um, it actually has Spider-Man. And you know how they used to do that half face, like when he would be Peter Parker, but his spider sense would kick in, and they would do like half of his face would look like the Spider-Man mask. The other half would be Peter Parker, and then they'd have the lines that's like w- the wavy lines going away from the Spider-Man half. That's what this guy is wearing a T-shirt. That says that. So this says to me that this is probably not reflecting something that's happening in the story, but um, it it is meant to uh, harken back to that original cover uh, in the early run of the Amazing Spider-Man. Although looking at this now, I mean, it quite possibly could be a reprint of that. I don't know. Now here's something else I do know. I paid six dollars for this, and this one cover price is five ninety nine. This is actually, for four comics that I'm holding in my hand, this is a pretty heavy little bag here. Uh, The Rogue Squadron comic was $2.95. So already, just cover price alone, um, it's a deal. But what really makes it a deal or not is if it is actually good. So here's what happens when I do one of these episodes where I do the grab bag. Uh, I'm going to open the bag in just a moment. I'm going to explain what's in here and give a little bit of detail about the different the four different books that are in there. And then I'm going to play a sounder. And while that sounder plays, I'm actually stopping recording and then heading off reading. And then I'll come back and start recording again and talk about these four comics. And then we'll decide if it was a deal or not at $6. And we'll also decide if uh, which ones were best, which ones were worse, was any of them dumb or not. But it's just a lot of fun because you don't know what you're going to get. Now, you can still kind of peek, and if I do peek, I can see that the um, one of the two comics in there, now that I'm looking, is an image comic, but I can't tell what, other than I see a green fist, so it could be Savage Dragon. Uh, let's see, the other one is a DC comic, the O, and the O looks like uh, the Greek Omega sign, so it's the Omega Men, I'm assuming, from DC, but we're going to open it up and see right now. Now, if Comic Book Time Machine was actually a YouTube channel, this would be an unboxing video. Instead, I'm going to have to use my words to make you understand what I'm talking about. And it is indeed the Omega Men. Um, I don't know anything about the Omega Men, uh, but we'll get to that in a second. So uh, X-Wing Rogue Squadron, just taking a peek inside the cover, uh, 1995. And it is chapter two of a four-issue series, so we'll see. Eh, well, we'll we'll see <laughs> if it's uh, good or not. Um, I mean, if it's good enough, it'll, we'll see if it's good enough to make me seek out the rest. Let's put it that way. The Omega Men. Now, what what I'm concerned about here, as I'm seeing this Omega Men, 
I don't know anything about them. And what happens if I get like issue number 16? Well, I don't have issue number 16. I instead have first star spanning issue. And this is from 1983. So this quite possibly, I don't know. I mean, I'll find out. But this quite possibly could be like the first Omega Men uh, comic ever. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But 1983, great. Um, oh, it is not... Uh, it's not Savage Dragon, though. It is Wildcats, issue number 15, from 1994. And then, like I said, there is this Spider-Man comic. This is hefty. This is hefty. What is in here? Uh, the Spider-Man comic, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, an all-new chapter in a story 50-plus years in the making, Amazing Spider-Man and Lucky to Be Alive, but I don't see the uh, any of the date or anything in here. Well, this, this still has this this has a digital copy uh, code. That's probably still good, but let's see. Boy, flipping through here, I'm not finding anything. There's Inhumans in here though. Oh, that this is issue one of Inhumans. Oh, I remember when they did that. So they did a uh, issue one of Inhumans. I can't find any information. This looks like a sampler. There's a ton of stuff in here. So, yeah, but I can't find the date anywhere. Here it is. 2014, June of 2014. All right, well, we'll see if the read is any good. But it's not going to be a quick read, especially if I read everything, like even that Inhumans. But with Inhumans issue one, there's that kind of bonus issue that they put in a bunch of comics. I remember them doing that. Um, the, I really got five comics here. So I'm going to play a sounder. And then when I come back, I will have read. Let's see. Let's start with Amazing Spider-Man. And then we'll go uh, Amazing Spider-Man because I'm curious about. And then I'll, I'm going to read Wildcats, which I'm not too excited about. Um and then X-Wing Rogue Squadron and then Omega Men because the Omega Men one is the one I am the most curious about. And yeah, so time for me to step back into a couple different time periods and publishers and we will continue from there. But first, let's play the sounder. No, wait, I don't play a sounder. I play uh, ads for other other podcasts. So first, let's play the ads for other podcasts that I listen to and Think you would enjoy too. He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on theLongboxCrusade.com and check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. Okay, wow. So, (laughs) um... Yeah, $6 cover price on this. There was a lot going on here, including the Inhumans issue number one reprint preview thingy that they did. Uh, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other stories that <laughs> going on. And most of them, well, uh, most of them tend to be, I, I think, just set up uh, for what's happening next. 
So here's here's what's going on here. Uh, now I did not know what <laughs> what was going on here uh, when I was you know looking at this originally, but uh, this is uh, number one, Amazing Spider-Man number one, and so it is. I think it intended to. No, I don't think it's intended to be a new start to bring in new readers with a new normal, and it's coming right off of the Superior Spider-Man book. And how do I know this? Well, I'll get to that because the book tells me. But first, it starts off with a two-page recap of Spider-Man's origin. Now, this story is called Lucky to be Alive. It's the Amazing Spider-Man in Lucky to be Alive. Uh, Dan Slott is the writer. Umberto Ramos is the penciler. Victor, I can't read that. Victor Olazaba. Okay, let's find better font for that because... (laughs) I can't read it. So this other, yeah, here we are. Victor Olazaba is the inker and Edgar Delgado is the colorist. And this story starts off with, like I said, this two page thing. That's a recap of Spider-Man's origin. But then it shows that the spider that bit Peter Parker also bit someone else. Dun, dun, dun. That fascinates me, I have to say. That idea fascinates me, that the spider bit someone else and someone else may have powers or something that came out of that. That's really cool. That's really intriguing to me. Uh, Then we get a title page that gives the context for when this happens, and it says that it's right after the Superior Spider-Man, and the page gives a text exposition explaining how Dr. Octopus took over Peter's body, um, completed Peter Parker's PhD, fell in love, and started Parker Industries. But then also realized that in order to be a true hero, he had to sacrifice himself. So now, Dr. Octopus did that. Peter Parker is back in charge of his body and has no idea what happened during the time he was gone. So we jump into the story. And Peter is back on the job as Spider-Man for the first time. And we get an exciting opening fight scene. And he's taking down a team that calls themselves the Menagerie. It's made up of Hippo and Pandemonium. And White Rabbit. Uh, the scene then ends with a splash page of Spider-Man wearing his mask with his web shooters. And he has created some sort of webbed underwear. Which, it's funny, but I'm wondering, is it a little too funny? Uh, turns out, it's important to the story. And so that's what makes it work for me when i was first reading this i was just i don't know if this works but it it works for me also seeing white rabbit in action i like white rabbit uh she appears in a couple goofy comics that i have that uh, you know feature like frogman and uh, so i have a soft spot for her now we jump from this moment in time to four hours earlier and peter is trying to have a press conference and a reporter asks if peter industries was attacked by green goblin and apparently there's this huge huge big deal big battle with green goblin and there was all sorts of goblins running around people in goblin costumes who were hired and stuff like that i don't know exactly what happened but the context that i'm able to pick up here from the clues is there was a big deal that happened a big battle the avengers were brought in and it was just a big big giant giant mess now they're dealing with the cleanup and they're outside of um, Parker Industries and the reporter asks, were you attacked by Green Goblin because of your ties to Spider-Man? And Peter's reply was, yes, I've de- designed tech for Spider-Man over the years, 
but I'm cutting off all ties now. And Aunt May is standing next to him, and she says, finally, thank goodness. So then we get him trying to figure things out. This is uh, only a few hours since he's gotten control of his body. He doesn't even didn't even know that he owned a company, and now he's trying to figure out how does he be the spokesperson person for it. We cut away, though, to a scene with a woman named Anna Maria who comes into the apartment that she shared with Dr. Octopus Peter Parker. And as she's looking around in the apartment, she finds an engagement ring, which, again, this is fascinating stuff right here. Uh, he has no idea that she's there. He has no idea really who she is. Uh, although when he sees her again, I think he does know who she is somehow. Or I, I don't know. I don't know exactly if he does or not. But he certainly doesn't know that he was going to propose. And he certainly wasn't planning to propose himself. So he then we go back to Peter Parker and he has to pick up Dr. Octopus's research because there's a problem with the thing that they've invented, this nanotech stuff, and it's going to be their big, big deal and it's not working and he has to be the one who's going to fix it. He has no idea anything about it though. And also his employees are terrified of him and between that and him just trying to figure out who in the world he is at this point in time, or at least what's going on in his life at this point in time, he finds that there's a room full of all the Spider-Man tech stuff that Dr. Octopus had created. And it's his business partner says, it's your job. Take care of it. Get rid of it. Instead of getting rid of it, he puts it on a, a Spider-Man costume. He goes out, starts swinging around, finds the menagerie. They actually had another person named Gypsy Moth. And Gypsy Moth has this power to control threads. She tears off his clothing. But um, before she gets to the mask, he knocks her out, takes care of the rest easily. Um, he, oh, in the, in the midst of that, had to spin the, the webs to make the, the webbing underwear for himself. And, yeah, and also the people seemed to not like him because apparently he wasn't a very likable Spider-Man when he was under control of Dr. Octopus. But he heads home. And there's Anna Maria waiting for him. And she confronts him. And I'm thinking, okay, confronting about the ring. But no, she confronts him because she, when he was Dr. Octopus, he never told her that he was Spider-Man. But she's seen him naked before. And now she sees a picture of this guy wearing the spider underoos. And she knows who and what she is. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. So... I'm just going to go ahead and, and give a little bit of um, commentary right now about what I just read. First of all, with the context clues that they gave and then what I already knew about Dr. Octopus and that whole situation, it was easy to get into the story. And it was nice to, I mean, read. It was, it was a decent story. Uh, I would read more of this story, but I'm not really interested in seeking it out. I'm interested enough that, you know, if I happened to be in the library and saw it there, I might pick it up because um, I – let me rephrase. If I had also heard there's some good story arcs that take place in this round of Spider-Man between there and Secret Wars because that's the thing. I don't know how much Secret Wars is going to you know mess things up. And so I don't – I don't want to get, and this is not just for this story. I don't want to get invested in stories when I know it's just going to get shaken up and characters are going to get moved and mashed together or taken out or whatever. 
I just I, I'm I'm I don't want to get too involved in in something that's going to cause me to have to get a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm more than happy to just follow a story. Not I, I got burned, you know, with when I went from Planet Hulk to World War Hulk, and suddenly have to buy this and that and this and that. I got burned. Now I am looking at Monsters Unleashed, which is coming out later this month, and I'm asking myself, okay, do I want to read that? Well, maybe. I mean, it looks pretty self-contained, but I don't really want to get into Amazing Spider-Man if it's not going to be self-contained, and and so that's why I say, you know, maybe casually I'd pick it up if it was available to me, but I'm not going to seek it out. Um, anyway, it's it's interesting. There's clever writing in this there's dynamic art and i have to say while i thought the the uh spider web underwear thing was yeah okay it may have been just a cheap laugh but it was a cheap laugh that had a lot of impact and had a lot of meaning in his in (laughs) the situations of his life so kudos there because I was expecting it to not have any kind of payoff just other than, like I said, cheap laugh. Don't beyond cheap laugh. Nice work. Very good, Dan Slot. So the next story is Recapturing That Old Spark featuring Electro. This is a shorter story, and Electro comes into a bar with no, the bar with no name, where he receives zero respect from the newbie bad guys. So he decides, you know what? As he walks out, I'm going to go to a prison and set everyone free to earn back the respect I gained when I blew up the raft and let everyone free. And then it doesn't go well. People are killed and it's a mess and he stumbles out and he's mad at Spider-Man to be continued. This does nothing for me. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's meant to set up motivation for future stories. Well, mission accomplished, but it does nothing for me. Uh, Dan Slott and Christos Gage are the writers. Javier Rodriguez is the penciler. And Alvaro Lopez is the inker. Crossed Paths features Black Cat. Another short little story for us. We see that Spider-Man recently beat Black Cat and webbed her and left her for the cops. And she lost everything. Now she's in prison. But Electro's mess, when he did that prison thing, uh, allowed her to escape. And now she's going to destroy Spider-Man's life the same way he destroyed hers. And at this point, I'm wondering, are all these backup stories just going to be setting up new status quos and motivations and stuff like that? And, you know, in some ways, that could be a really good thing. But in other ways, I'd almost rather it just be all like, you know, merge into one story. Uh, But, you know, I mean, this is the way they chose to do it. And uh, this one was written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage again. And Giuseppe Kamen. Kevin Coley is the penciler and John Dell and Cam Smith were the inkers and Antonio Fabello was the colorist. Next, we have a little three page story called How My Stuff Works, written by Joe Caramagna and uh, Chris Eliopoulos is the artist. Also, he's the letterer for this entire book. And basically, this is a goofy three page joke fest explaining his powers. And there were two jokes in there that I found to be really, really funny. Um, should I share them? I don't know. Let's take a look here. One of them was here. There was a brief period of time when I spun organic webs from my wrists, which creep people out. 
considering where real spiders shoot webs out of, I don't think it was so bad. But for most of my spider career, I've used these web shooters. That was that was kind of funny. I like that. And and then the other one was, um, well, I got to run off to do something with good intentions only to have a blow up in my face, but I'll somehow snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. The, the whole three page thing there. And it ends on a punchline that wasn't that great, but um, overall, I mean, it's, it's fun and it's reminiscent to me of the backup things you would get in annuals where they'd have like a couple pages. Hey, here's how my base works. Hey, here's how my powers work. Hey, here's a cute little retelling of my origin. And so this, this was fun to see. Next, we have Spider-Man 2099 in homecoming sort of. And let's see, that was written by Peter David with Will Sliney as the artist. And Antonio Faba, Fabello, Fabella as the colorist. Oh, my goodness. I really maybe I should just stop saying names. But anyway, um, this is another short story. And Spider-Man, the Spider-Man from 2099 is thinking about how he's from the future and now he's not in the future anymore. And things are different. And then he finds a mugging in progress and he stops them from killing the victim. Uh, well, just stops them from robbing the victim, actually. But she tells him off because she didn't ask for his help. And then he's confused. Because this world is so different. And, you know, I have to say, uh, Peter David's 2099, Spider-Man 2099 series uh, back in like 90, I don't know, six or whatever, whenever they were doing 2099, that was good stuff. And I enjoyed reading it and I tried to follow it, fell behind and ended up not not able to follow. And I keep meaning to like try and get my brother to, to loan me his collection because he has like the entire collection of all 2099 books. Uh I, or all but like a, a dozen or something like I don't know how many he he missed out on, but um, I keep meaning to ask him to let me borrow them, but I keep forgetting, and it's okay. I have plenty more to read without without those. But anyway, uh, this story tells me that if I was to read a Peter David twenty ninety nine book right now about Spider Man twenty ninety nine, it would be a fish out of water book or something like that, and not really one that I'm interested in. Now, if I borrowed it for my brother because he has like all of them. And I was to read like 2099 the whole way through, which would be really cool. I, wonder if there, I bet there's a podcast out there about that. Maybe I'd do that instead. But anyway, not interested too much in reading about 2099 Spider-Man right now based on this short story. Kane is the next story. Chris Yost is the writer. David Baldian is the penciler. Jordi Tarragona is the inker. And Rochelle Rosenberg is the colorist on this one. And this one's a little bit different uh, because it's not about Spider-Man. It's about Spider-Man's clone, Kane. Now, this is not Ben Riley, from what I understand, although he has taken on the identity of Scarlet Spider. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself here. But uh, Kane was a clone of Spider-Man from the old days when Spider-Man's clone, Scarlet Spider, was around. And things escalated and things got bad. But the last they knew, after he became a Spider-Monster thingy, uh, Kane was a good guy and they parted on good terms. Well, Kane went to, I think it was Houston or something like that, where he became a superhero in that area, calling himself Scarlet Spider, dressing up in a, a costume reminiscent of Spider-Man and has apparently turned into a spider monster or something like that. But then he's actually now fighting crime as Scarlet Spider with the new warriors. And this is basically saying to be continued in New Warriors, written by Chris Yost, who also wrote Thor movie. And... 
uh, it's not enough to get me to to want to, to read anything. But really, the only thing that's been gotten my interest up to want to read more is the main story here, Lucky to Be Alive. Um, now, these ones here, Homecoming, sort of, and Kane, and well, and how my stuff works, but uh, those feel like they could be just tacked on at the end. Uh, I just wish that the Electra one and the uh, Black Black Widow one could have been maybe tied in somehow a little more uh, into the the main story. Finally, we have Learning to Crawl, colon, Amazing Reality. And this is from Dan Slott as the writer and Ramon Perez as the artist and Ian Herring as the colorist. And this one, uh, there is some interest for me here. Uh, now, Learning to Crawl is the subtitle given to the Spider-Man 1.1 series, Year One, Learning to Crawl. And it's a fresh spin on Peter Parker's first days of Spider-Man. But the way it works here in this story, I find myself very interested. Uh, Clayton Cole is a genius kid similar to Peter Parker, except he has his mom at home instead of Aunt May. And he just happens to go to Spider-Man's first wrestling match. Now, that's pretty cool. Then he intentionally seeks out uh, the Spider-Man's appearance on a late night show, uh, you know, the live late night kind of Johnny Carson, David Letterman, or I don't know who's on late night these days because I just don't stay up that late. But at that show, he's in line and he's so excited that he's going to see Spider-Man. But then he sees someone breaking into the like the fire exit or whatever, and he doesn't want to lose his place in line. He asks someone, you know, can you save my spot? And the guy's like, no, I'm not going to save your spot. So he's just chooses to ignore what he just saw and doesn't tell anyone about it because he doesn't want to lose his place in line. He goes in, the show is amazing. He's so inspired. It changed his life. And then he just wants to be just like Spider-Man. And so he goes home. He's like, I can do this. I can do this. I just need the right tech and practice my moves. And then he holds up a mask that's reminiscent of the Spider-Man mask. Oh, it's a luchador mask. Uh, that's white with the, the same shape eyes though. And, Okay, uh, this I would be a little bit interested in. And, you know, it's taking place in modern day. The wrestling match he uh, videoed on his phone and then uploaded it to YouTube and got 3 million hits. And he's like, I'm I'm why Spider-Man's popular is because I had that video on YouTube. And uh, so I, that I'm not so excited about. But if the story was good, I could get past the setting of the story. So anyway... I don't know that this one, I might seek out a trade paperback of year one learning to crawl. If uh, this Clayton Cole character was going to be a, a main character in it. Finally, we have inhuman. Uh, it's actually inhuman number one. And from the cover, you see that there's a guy in a hoodie and he's got burning eyes. And so that gives me a clue that, that this is going to kind of feature this guy. Well, this is actually his, his origin story. This is part one, which is Genesis. Now in this origin story here, you got a guy named Christian who gets caught in a cloud that comes over to Norway over the ocean, you know, following the, the, the wind lines or whatever, uh, after an incident created in New York. Now that incident that created in New York apparently was some sort of huge battle that involved, uh, black bolt king of the inhumans. And he's gone dead now or presumed dead. And, now, a large and powerful man named Lash comes, takes the cocoon that Christian was found in, and he takes up to a mountaintop and explains the Inhumans' backstory to this guy while he's still in the cocoon. 
And he explains about the Terrigen Mist and how it creates uh, in humans by triggering genes and triggering powers. And he believes that there should not be as many inhumans as they are, there are. And he is part of a splinter group that had just a tiny bit of Terrigen Mist. And so they had to just be very, very, very selective in who they would allow to be an inhuman. And then the guy comes out of the cocoon and Lash kills him at dawn after he sees what this guy has become because he, he doesn't believe that this guy deserves to be an inhuman. Meanwhile, in Illinois, a young man named Dante and his mother are also affected by the Terrigen Mist and Lash comes to them, too. But Medusa arrives and saves Dante from Lash. And then as Dante's trying to figure out what's going on. Medusa says, you are part of this Inhumans group. I am the queen. We are a kingdom, but we're actually a kingdom at war. And you need to pick a side. And so that's that's how it ends. And it was cool, actually. I didn't realize when I started reading this I was going to see Lash. Because Lash was a big part of uh, last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that was really neat to see him in this comic book. Uh, This is an intriguing opening. And an intriguing, uh, I, I, this is, this did its job uh, to make me curious about reading what's going on with the Inhumans. But again, it's the same kind of thing where, okay, do I, if I pick this up, is it just going to get sidelined by all this extra stuff? The way, you know, that actually speaking of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comic book, which just got canceled after issue 10, it got sidelined by... Civil War Two, which is the tie-in issue ten, is a tie-in to Civil War Two. But then there was also, um, oh, I can't remember the the name of this this miniseries kind of thing. But um, it was like Welcome to Pleasantville or something like that. And yeah, it, it just I just want to follow a book and just read the story, you know. And if there's going to be other stuff and crossovers, just give me enough that I can enjoy my own story in this one comic book. Don't spend so much time trying to get me to spend more of my money although that said i understand that's exactly what they're doing so anyway the uh variant cover here it says zap on the front which i didn't mention earlier when i was talking about this well when i got to the back i found out why and that is because this is a comic book store i wouldn't call it a chain necessarily because i think it only has two links there's uh one in wayne new jersey and manalap Mana Lappin, yeah, Mana Lappin, New Jersey, and new issues, back issues, graphic novels, cards, supplies, toys, statues, and much more. We're always buying. That's zapcomics.com and zapbuyscomics.com, but zap has two P's. And so I'm assuming that these people who are on the cover, and this was indeed inspired by uh, Steve Ditko's cover to Amazing Spider Man number one, and I'm assuming these guys are from the shop. And just, you know, taking their places on there. And so you've got the guy with the jetpack taking the place of, of Human Torch, you know, who was flying across in, on that original cover. Speaking of Steve Ditko, I did forget to mention in the uh, the artwork for that uh, Clayton Cole story, the the one that's tied into the, the learning to crawl or whatever. Uh, that artwork, they do a very, very good job of making it reminiscent of Steve Ditko with still having the modern edge. So anyway, that is amazing. Spider-Man number one 
Variant Edition from 2014. So I'm going to go ahead and play the sounder and then I'm going to read something that I think will be a lot less intense. I hope it will be a little less intense because, you know, it's going to be a lot less pages. Let's just put it that way. And it's an image comic. Uh, so it's an image comic from the 90s. <laughs> so what that means is this is a book that I would have seen on the shelf thought that's a very well actually i wouldn't have thought that some of the image comics i thought had great looking covers but i just wasn't interested in what's inside stories from image in the 90s rarely uh, the main series that they had like spawn wildcats uh those things rarely intrigued me enough to want to even come close to it unless they had some sort of gimmick like when um oh what's his name Dave Sim did an issue of Spawn and Steve Gerber uh, wrote some stuff for Wildcats. And, and I know so they, they brought in writers and that was mostly what I was interested in. Now, just a preview. This was written by James Robinson, who is a writer that I do kind of like. So, yeah, I I'm curious if this is going to bring me in. Is this going to make me want to buy more <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man made me interested in stuff, but didn't necessarily make me want to buy more. Will this Wildcats do it for me? We're going to find out after this. It's midnight. The podcasting hour. Hello, listeners. It's your friend, PJ Frightful. That's PJ as in podcast jockey. And I'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks. When the clock strikes midnight, the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of DC Comics. Those supernatural sagas of Swamp Thing, Dead Man, The Spectre, and more. The podcasting hour. It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. Prepare for the unexpected, open a doorway to nightmare, and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full, and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beware. Well... I didn't hate this. Wildcats number 15 from 1994. $1.95 cover price. Has a cover of a bunch of characters that I don't know, including Grifter, who I do know. I'm assuming they are all the Wildcats because that's what the book is about. Sort of. Uh, the book opens with a prologue. The prologue has the Wildcats in uh, an Aspen yesterday uh, in a, oh, what do you call it? I guess it's not really a cabin, but sure, we'll call it a cabin for now. There's a fireplace. It's huge, but there's a fireplace. And they're all just kind of talking about what are they going to do? They got some time off from their superheroing. And then they get attacked by a choppa. And it just starts shooting up the place with machine guns and someone named... Uh, Pris gets shot, gets shot pretty bad. Uh, Grifter, by the way, takes down the chopper with his guns, just shooting with his two guns and uh, lots of 
dynamic poses and action and pointy feet. And uh, let's talk about the art. Uh, Travis Cherist is the penciler. Troy Hubbs is the inker. Letters are by uh, Comicraft Richard Starkings. And the story is James Robinson. The thing I find interesting is there's a special thanks to Michael Golden. And I'm I'm curious what that is. But anyway, uh, this all happens and it's, it's bad. It's bad. This is page four. The rest of the whole issue is taking place with this other team called the Black Ravens, I believe. Black Razors, sorry. Black Razors. And we get a dialogue box saying that it's tomorrow in Boston. And there's this guy whose name is Ben Santini who is hanging on to an American flag as a jet is flying toward him. And he's got character. He, he's a movie lover and he's he's narrating the story and he's saying, I, I hope that this uh, narration is like uh, in Stalag 17, where the guy narrating it lived through to the end and not like Sunset Boulevard, where the guy's dead before the film even starts, which is the, the big twist is that he's narrating the story. And then you find out at the end that he's the dead body that you see at the beginning of the movie. Spoiler for whatever, you know, however many decades old this is. Then we get a caption box that says today, and we see a whole bunch of people getting killed. And then we find out that, uh, one of the guys, uh, the, I guess he's maybe funding the Wildcats or something like that, but he also maybe gives them their missions. He's telling them you can have some time off because I have to go and be a part of this environmental um, committee <laughs> because we have to clean up the mess that alien Dan Quayle left behind. Apparently, uh, aliens took over Dan Quayle and replaced him and created a huge, big environmental mess. And this Ben Santini guy is taking over for the Black Razors, and they are not impressed with him. They do not really like him, and they are not accepting his leadership. And then we get some scenes of them as he's saying, you know, we're, we got to be ready to jump into action because they are going to target these people who are going to be on this committee. Now, the guy with the Wildcats who is going to be on the committee, he is fine because the Wildcats were there. These other people are getting murdered and getting killed, and they're not fine. So then the team leaves and goes off and they're all doing their thing. And so you get a whole bunch of just uh, images and these horizontal panels. Really, really interesting. Really, really well done. The best storytelling of the comic is happening in this section where you're just getting them uh, in their everyday life. As one of the guys wants to visit his son, but is, is uh, he's he pays alimony. He's a terrible husband, but he's a good father and... And that's that's what's going on with him. And then you have someone who's gambling and losing. And then we have someone who keeps making uh, phone calls uh, to hook up with women. And then you have uh, a woman who is visiting her father in the hospital. And then you have um, oh, there's just oh, and then you have Ben Santini, who is training and he's going to his priest and, and going to confession. And um, it's really those three pages are some really, really good storytelling. And even though I wouldn't be able to tell you any of their names or much about them individually, other than I remember one of them was like this, you know, one of them had trouble with his, his son. And one of them was, you know, constantly getting hooked up, hooking up with these women. I wouldn't be able to tell you who they are by name or anything like that. But as a group, they are suddenly a little more interesting to me. And so they go in to go and save a guy who's going to be assassinated as part of this uh, environmental committee. And this is where Ben Santini then 
he works really hard to gain their respect by going into battle with them, even though he has been wounded and walks with a really bad limp and, you know, that's, and they don't respect him. And, but now, you know, he goes through this with them and they uh, have found respect for him. They save the person they're supposed to save, but the aliens who are coming to kill them or the people who were sent by the aliens or whatever, um, they all are brain dead um, and, and kind of shut down, which, you know, it's too bad. They can't get information from them, but they do get information from one of them. The information they get is that they are going to try and hit the people um, with the, or the guy rather with the wildcats. And the other thing that they found out was that there's always someone near the victim who actually has, is being controlled by an alien or who maybe is a duplicate of the alien. I think it's a duplicate of the alien. It's a shapeshifter that they send in and the shapeshifter is going to be one of the wildcats. And that is to be continued. And I have to say, I enjoyed reading it mainly because when I saw how they were setting up this, the, the families and the, I guess it was family for, for two of the people. And then, you know, some other foibles for the others. And when I saw that we're setting that up, I thought, you know what, this is interesting. I was wondering if they're just setting it all up for them all to die, except for maybe Ben Santini, but no, they, they weren't. They were setting them all up to have to go up against the wildcats in the next issue, which I'm not going to read uh, as much as I like this. No interest in really tracking this down at all. I'm just going to go ahead and, and leave it as is. I'm happy that I read it. And next, I'm going to be reading Dark Horse Comics, Star Wars, X-Wing, Rogue Squadron, The Rebel Opposition, issue two of four. And I'm going to play another podcast promo for a podcast that I listen to. Whenever I play promos, it's because I listen to them, like them, think you might like them too. So here is Give Me Those Star Wars. Star Wars. I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. Well, you're part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Both and Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me Those... <clears throat> including the irredeemable Shag, whose voice you will technically hear on every episode. On Give Me Those Star Wars. The official Star Wars show of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back. And you know what? I enjoyed Wildcats more than I enjoyed Star Wars. 
what in the world? Uh, this is uh, Star Wars Rogue Squadron from 1995 and published by Dark Horse. And basically, two groups of people that I don't know, except for Wedge Antilles, uh, are meeting together on a planet. One is Rogue Squadron coming to the planet to give, I think, support to the other group, which is resistance on this planet against the Imperials who have occupied the planet. And as the two groups come together, someone that I don't know from the group is sent to infiltrate the Imperials, and he ends up flying a TIE fighter mission with the Imperials. Presumably, uh, they're going to go and attack the others. Meanwhile, they are going to get armed up to go and fight the Imperials. The So you have Wedge Antilles and the, the Rogue Squadron. Um connecting with this group of people from the planet who know the planet, they know the wildlife, they know the flora, the fauna, all that kind of stuff. And they're going to work together, although they're not getting along great to start with. And there's lots of back and forth and there's some good dialogue and stuff like that. And there's some, you know, action and some interesting action because it's not all just, you know, fighting against walkers and, you know, dog fighting and stuff. But there's also like this weird wolf type creature that's on the planet that the people who are the resistance out in the forests, they know how these wolf-like creatures, you know, they, they're attracted to light, and but they don't like this certain plant, and so they can, like, it's like a tea plant, and, uh, you know, they throw this, this hot drink at them, and they're allergic to it, so they run away from it, and, you know, so it, there's some interesting stuff in here, uh, it's just not interesting enough for me to seek out, you know, and, and find out what's going to happen next. And unlike the last one, although, you know, it was definitely with Wildcats, definitely set up for, you know, what's going to happen next issue. I was happy just stopping after that one issue. This one clearly, you know, probably be better if you read it all four issues, maybe as a trade paperback or, uh, you know, Marvel is now doing lots of collections. Uh, these kind of epic collection is what they're calling them of old dark horse material but it just didn't interest me and it wasn't that great and um it might have interested me a while ago but i don't know who these people are and i don't care i don't care about them michael stackpole was a story mike Barron was a scripter alan nunes was the penciler which was just fine the pencils were just fine and nothing wrong with them. Annie Mushinsky is the inker. Dave Nestel is the colorist. And Steve Dutro is the letterer. Dave Dorman did the cover, which, you know, like I said, that was a, it's a really good looking cover of a X-Wing fighter flying away from um, some ATSTs. But I'm, I'm not going to be coming back to the, that anytime, anytime soon. And certainly not because of what I just read. Perfectly fine, just not interesting to me. So I'm going to play one more promo, and then I will be talking about the first star-spanning issue of DC Comics' The Omega Men from 1983. I hope it's good. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter... I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. 
Let's put it this way. Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Okay, and I'm back, and my throat is killing me right now because... Well, let's just say it took me a little bit longer to read this one than the promo that I just played, as in the tune of days that it took me to read it. But um, the Omega Man number one, first star-spanning issue, oh my goodness, I may have just found a book that I'm going to try and collect. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to look into it a little bit to see you know, what I'm getting into in trying to collect this thing. But, uh, wow, this was a very, very interesting read for me. Um, it, it's a, it's a big star spanning story. Uh, the story is the Citadel War chapter one, and there's these bad guys who are really, really bad. And there's these good guys who are basically coming back into town, uh, back into their galaxy area where these people from the citadel have taken over and i guess there's like a hundred of these omega men and they're all from different planets who have been under the rule of the people from the citadel for uh different periods of time the closer you get to the center of their power um the longer they've been under the under their rule i'm not exactly sure what happened to get these omega men out from that area uh to where they're like traveling back in, but it feels in some ways it's almost like um, the Odyssey where you've got these people who are returning home to, to help, uh, you know, overthrow these evil people who have taken over their home. Uh, I'm also reminded, I'm reminded of a couple different things. I'm reminded of Atari force and I'm reminded of Micronauts and I'm reminded of um, uh, alien Legion just, in some of the setup that we have going on here, some of the uh, the team dynamics, and you know they're on a ship, so it's a ship-based superhero book, so it's kind of X Men, Star Trek kind of thing, and you have all these different characters who look very, very different from one another. Uh, the main character, as far as um, things that are happening to him in this issue, is Brute, who is from this planet that is. Um, uh, a planet of pacifists and it's super super interesting uh this i i don't know if every issue has as many pages there's only 25 pages of story in this but the 
the basic stories is there's there's two parts to the story. First part is they come in and they uh, liberate a planet from the Citadel. And it's basically like a planet that's the furthest from these the evil bad guys. And there's uh, <laughs> to show how evil they are, uh, these creatures uh, who <laughs> are just like sitting there eating a person on the splash page, the opening splash page. And then the good guys uh, attack them. The Omega men uh, attack these creatures and they're tearing off limbs. They're tearing off heads. They're, you know, <laughs> there's with the final image, uh, the brain like bounces past the characters as they're talking the brain of one of the, uh, the bad guys. And so it's, it's a brutal, brutal opening. What's interesting is that uh, the battle then is also pretty brutal, but you have this character, like I said, Brute, who is involved in that. And in some ways, the brutality of their battle here is going to be juxtaposed against the um, pacifism of Brute's planet later. Then, of course, Brute himself is uh, definitely... uh, He is... uh, very different from his people. And so you have uh, also Primus, who's kind of the leader. And again, I don't know a lot of details here coming in. I do feel like I'm coming in in the middle of something. Uh, apparently, they have appeared in Green Lantern. They've appeared in Teen Titans. But they don't give all the backstory. Apparently, on their way home, though, they were distracted by people who needed their help. Green Lantern and Teen Titans needed help for some reason or another. And so now they're back on track on their mission and their mission is to liberate their planets, their people. And their first stop is this kind of backwater, uh, backwater planet that isn't as much of a, a th- it's, it's easy for them. They're, they're able to very easily take over and, and, take away power from the Citadel. And they also have plans for how they can trick the Citadel into not knowing that anything has even happened. But then they leave to go to their next place and they are going to go to Brute's home world. And hopefully they would gain allies there. And if they can gain allies who are as great as Brute is in just his strength and his abilities, well, that is probably the best thing that could possibly happen to them. But Brute, he has a hard time explaining that it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be great. And the reason is because these people are dedicated to pacifism. And there's some interesting sci-fi stuff going on here. Um, these people are stone people. They actually like reproduce by uh, growing stone children that kind of emerge from the earth. I'm not exactly sure physically how that works, but there's uh, there are parental coupling that is involved there. And so parents are waiting for these children to emerge. Uh, the problem is once the children emerge, they are taken by the Citadel, immediately taken by the Citadel. And they are, you know, they are staying with their religious pacifism. And what they do in their time is they uh, build temples that are monuments uh, to their pacifism. And they just let the people take away their children without a fight. And the agreement is they do that and that's it. 
And we get some ideas from Brute that his wife was just taken and given into slavery uh, very, very quickly and very, very easily by his people. And so his people have have uh, shunned him because he is not a pacifist. And he and his crew, uh, well, I guess it's Primus's crew, but they they come down and they speak to the people and the pe- Brute's people are, are saying, well, we're, this, is, this is the way it is and you are not welcome here, Brute. And they go to where children are being birthed and as soon as the children are birthed, the bad guys come and Brute goes nuts and tears them apart. And there's some interesting stuff that gets brought up about pacifism and how um, Primus says, or one of the characters says, you know, Brute saved our lives many, many times. He does value life. And the people of the planet are basically saying, well, uh, you know what, if you didn't put yourself in those positions, he wouldn't need to to save your life. And, you know, just the fact that they spend all of their time creating just temples. And it's it's just the kind of thing where, you know, I... I as a religious person myself, as someone who does follow um, the teachings of Christ and who teaches the teachings of Christ, and uh, as someone who is a, a Christian, a, a follower of Jesus, um, I I look at this and I I see some echoes here of of the real world where you have people who are uh, the phrase we use uh, in in some of our circles is you know too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, and that's what I, I'm getting the feeling here is you know. They're taking their pacifism and and they are definitely, definitely following it through. Uh, They don't fight for their children. And when Brute does, uh, there is a massive retaliation against them. A a whole city is destroyed. And that's how the comic ends. And and that's one of the things that makes me curious about what's going to happen next. Uh, A whole city is going to be destroyed and... As, as they realize this is going to be their punishment, the leaders are saying, well, you know, we, who are we to put a price on the life that you have taken, Brute? They are the ones who choose the price. And it's one of those great things where, you know, like Star Trek or Twilight Zone or, you know, those kind of shows where you have this alien culture where you're trying to understand the alien culture, but then clearly you're also looking at, you know, things that you can get from your own culture while you're looking at it. And in this situation, uh, it does bring to to mind for me, you know, some of my, my pacifist friends. Um, and not that that's a bad thing. My friends really, I mean, their pacifism is, is not extreme like this. But to see people who are so wrapped up in their um, religious thought that they're not thinking about the people around them. And for, for me, uh, as I think about, you know, my, my beliefs and, and the, 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 the teachings that I'm following uh, is, you know, Christianity in, in my case uh, is about other people. You know, it's about loving your neighbor. It's about turning the other cheek. It's about helping the people around you. And yet you can get so wrapped up in just thinking about that stuff. And you can get so wrapped up in, you know, patting on your, yourself on the back for believing that, that you're not acting on it. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's just an interesting thing that gets brought up here in this alien culture. 
But then the other cool thing for me is this was really interesting. This was a really interesting comic book. And it's what what's unusual for me is as I'm looking at these four comic books, uh, really more Wildcats and X, not wild, yeah, uh, Wildcats and X-Wing Rogue Squadron and, and, and Omega Men. All three of those books have um, teams, a cast of characters who are a team that I'm not familiar with. And in two of them, I found myself getting drawn in by this team of people. And in one of them, I didn't. And the one that I wasn't drawn in was the one, you know, the Star Wars one, which I would think I should be drawn into. I mean, uh, that sipping sound you just heard that I did for effect that I would normally not do on microphone. That sipping sound. That's from a Star Wars mug, you know, <laughs> actually a Star Wars comic book mug, no less. Now it's Star Wars Marvel comic books, not Star Wars Dark Horse comic books. I mean, by my right hand, by my mouse right here, it, there's a Porkins action figure. I mean, if you want to know if someone's a Star Wars fan, do they have a Porkins action figure standing right next to an Aunt Beru action figure? I, I mean, if that's not a Star Wars fan, I don't know what is, but the Star Wars comic was probably... Uh, you know, as I'm doing my final analysis now, my least interesting one, the one I liked the least. Now, granted, it was done, I think, in a different style. Uh, it was part two of four. And I think if I had read all four issues together, I probably would have liked it more because I would have known more about the characters, what the stakes were, and what their motivations were. Omega Men number one is introducing to me new characters that I had never heard of. So was X-Men or X-Men X-Wing Rogue Squadron. And so was Wildcats. They're both introducing characters that I knew nothing about. Wildcats made me care about them, but not enough to actually want to follow through on any more comics with that. Uh, but I actually enjoyed reading that issue. I expected to like that one the least. X-Wing Rogue Squadron. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how much I was going to like it, uh, but I didn't expect it to be the bottom of the pile here. Uh, and Omega Men, I, again, did not know what to expect, thinking I was going to get just a superhero team, and instead I get this setup for a, an intriguing premise that has a lot of story potential and characters that, uh, you know, Brute, I really cared about. Primus, uh, the fact that nobody really wants to follow him as their leader, uh, you know... Let's see what happens with that if if I'm going to read anymore. And, and I still, I, I don't know. I do need to find out where Omega Men goes, if it's been collected. Um, you know, is this the kind of thing where I'd want to, you know, look up the Green Lantern and Teen Titans appearances of the Omega Men? I, I don't know. Uh, Omega Men definitely feels like something that could would come from a uh, Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps uh, type of universe, but... Yeah, so this this one from 1983, volume one, number one, April 1983. Um, man, uh, definitely, absolutely the best of the bunch uh, for me. And and then I would say, you know, Spider-Man, you want to talk about bang for your buck. This book, I mean, it's just heavy. And there was enough good in there and enough well-written material in there for me to say this is this is definitely the the number two out of this bag 
Uh, Wildcats gets the third spot. X-Wing Rogue Squadron, nothing against it. It just didn't capture me. Um, but man, oh man, Omega Men, you have captured my imagination enough to look into what it would take to collect more. Um, and if I do collect more, I will let you know. If I don't let you know, it's probably because I didn't collect more. So this is episode 98. There are two more episodes until episode 100. But the next episode is an episode where I am feeling excited. Uh, I cannot wait to get the next episode of Comic Book Time Machine done and out. And it's it kind of goes hand in hand, actually, with what I'm doing over with uh, Ryan Daly over at It's Midnight, the podcasting hour. Kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, kind of doesn't, because it has nothing to do with, with what he is doing. But, um, yeah, I'm going to be talking about some swamp monsters. I don't know exactly what the format is going to look like, but it's time. It's time. We are almost 100 episodes into Comic Book Time Machine, and I still haven't really taken the time to really focus in on some of these Swamp Monster comic books that I've been collecting and enjoying. And so, like I said, I don't know what it's going to look like, what the format exactly is going to look like, but I've got some stuff I want to talk about, and that's what podcasting is for, right? You read the comics, you podcast about the comics. And in this case, man, I am so glad I did. Omega Men, boy, did you... Was this worth... Was this worth the, what was it, $6 that I paid? Oh, man. <laughs> was it ever. I mean, uh, cover prices alone made it worth it. But, yeah. So, that's this episode. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode. I want to thank you for downloading this episode. And I want to thank you for spending your time with me as I got to go back in time, not just comic book-wise, but nostalgia-wise, and you know, open up another one of these grab bags. And I can tell you that I will be doing grab bags again. But I don't know when. So next episode, we can look forward to some Swamp Monster stuff. And then episode number 100 is going to be the, the nexus. The nexus of Marvel's Cosmic Comics as both my individual Cosmic Comics feed and this, the Comic Book Time Machine main feed, are both going to hit episode 100 together. And that'll be a lot of fun. So until next time, thank you for listening. Godspeed, keep reading, and have fun. Because that's what comics are all about. Mostly. Except for things like Mouse. That's not fun, but it's still wonderful, and you should read it. And this... This closing is going a little longer than I anticipated. I should probably just cut it off and, and play the music. So I'm going to do that right now. 